Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. A quick reminder about something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Like in Solomon's Odyssey, issue number two, from our good friend and contributing narrator Dennis Robinson, just reached the 85% funded mark. But he still needs our help. To give you a little better idea of what's in store with this issue, Here's the description from the Kickstarter page. Lycan, Solomon's Odyssey, follows the trials and tribulations of Solomon, born around 8000 BC, a man with a devil-may-care attitude, who, through tragedy, was thrust into the very responsibility he desperately tried to avoid for most of his life. Faced with dire circumstances, he made a desperate decision in order to save his wife Zara his daughter Siduri, and the other members of his village. Through that desperation, Solomon was transformed into the world's first werewolf. Not knowing what he has become, this leads to heartache, as well as the evisceration of any unlucky soul who crosses his path on the night of the full moon. Each book in this series examines different folklore and mythology from various parts of the world as Solomon journeys to figure out what he is and how to cure himself. Chapter 2 introduces magic, ghosts, and other creatures as Solomon continues his odyssey. There's just over a week left to go in the Kickstarter for Chapter 2, 
and what looks to be some pretty sweet extra perks hidden behind the stretch goals. So, if you loved the first one, like I did, or you're new to the world of Lycan, now's the time to jump in and help the project cross the finish line with a bang. Visit lycanbook.com or search Kickstarter for Lycan Solomon's Odyssey. I promise you'll be glad you did. Our episode this week goes out to the delightfully disturbed Christine Rush, the newest member of our Patreon crew. Thank you for joining us in the shadows, Christine. Your support puts a preternatural fire in our bellies, and we appreciate it so much. And of course, you didn't think you'd get away without me giving you a little nudge toward our submissions page, did you? We're on the downward slope now, and I'd hate for you to miss submitting your macabre masterpiece. And come on, none of this sliding in under the wire either. Head to talestoterrify.com slash submissions and unleash your darkness on our totally suspecting slush readers. We have one tale for you this evening, which comes from Timothy G. Huguenin. Timothy G. Huguenin is a hillbilly writer of the strange and spooky, hiding in the Allegheny Mountains of West Virginia. He is the author of the horror novels When the Watcher Shakes and Little One, as well as the weird horror novella Unknowing I Sink. His short fiction has appeared in various publications, including Vastarian, Dim Shores Presents Volume 2, and The Dread Machine. You can find out more about him and his work by visiting mountainhorror.com. Children of the Night, join me for Timothy G. Huguenin's Animals, first published in Hello Horror, Spring 2017. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
I've been seeing the dogs every week now. The dogs? Yes, Bernard. You remember, at the shelter? You know, Sally really likes me. She's starting to remember me, I think. Sally, the Kelpie. Bernard didn't say anything in response, only stared back with gray, cataractous eyes. Not a full stare. Nearly empty, actually. Like her words had gone in, but were still processing. The gears still turning. Worn now, but turning. Slowly. For how many days would they continue? Not for long. Some days, Bernard wouldn't even speak at all. Do you remember when we sat in the park and watched the dogs? The bench and that shade tree? Oh, Bernard, hold on. You've... Ethel drew a Kleenex from her purse and wiped a line of drool from the corner of Bernard's mouth. There we go. Molly, he said. No, no. Molly's been, you know. Molly? Molly had been Bernard's beagle when he was a boy. She had been dead since his high school days. Molly's doing fine, Ethel said. Just fine. Molly? Ethel sighed and looked at her watch. I'm going to see Molly now. I'll tell her hello for you. Bernard stared back at her, saliva collecting again in the corner of his mouth. Ethel looked away. It was too pathetic, almost disgusting. A nurse came to wheel him to lunch. Ethel gathered her things, and another nurse unlocked the doors to the Alzheimer's wing. The nurse was young and pretty. Ethel had been young and pretty once. She smiled to Ethel. Ethel tried to smile back, but it was hard. She was tired of this place. Yet the nurses, all young and pretty, always smiled like they didn't even know. Like they would never become bent and white-haired and wrinkled like Ethel. Like they would never see their husbands here, dementia eating away at the mind and the bank account. Oh yes, that bank account. Still, Ethel tried. Another nurse, this one a boy, but still young and handsome. Bernard had been young and handsome once. Held the glass door for Ethel as she left the nursing home and was greeted by the fresh late September air, chilly despite the noon sun. 
She pulled her sweater tight against her shoulders and shuffled to her car. She probably shouldn't be driving at her age. But Bernard had never been able to have kids. And so there was no one to tell her not to, which was fine with her. On the other hand, there was no one to drive her around. Not for free, anyways. Gotta remember that old bank account. She started the car and pulled out onto the road. Not in the direction of the animal shelter. Not yet. Lately, Ethel had been in the habit of picking up some steaks for the dogs when she visited, and the butcher's was the other way. She pulled into the parking lot. William's Quality Meats was painted in red on the sign against the cream-colored background. The paint was chipped and blistered from many hot summers. The word meats had been repainted recently. The red was a little darker than the other sun-faded words, and the bottoms of the letters ran in long, thin drips where it must have rained before the paint dried. A bell rang as she stepped into the shop. A bald man with a long salt-and-pepper beard came through the PVC strip door in the back and stood behind the counter. He wiped his hands on his apron, which was stained with varying shades of red and brown. Hello, William, Ethel said. She smiled at him, finding it much easier now than before. You're looking quite good today. She said this every day. When Ethel had first met him, she had thought he was much younger than he actually was, and he always looked quite good. William didn't smile back. He didn't say anything, actually. Just crossed his arms and waited there. Ethel pretended to study the different cuts of meat. Really, she was thinking about how William's sleeves were rolled tightly against his thick forearms. She was thinking about William's gold earring and how it added to his quiet, bad boy mystique. Like an old pirate or biker or something. And oh, those forearms. These look good, she said. I'll take some of these and a couple pounds of the ground chuck. She stole a peek at William's legs as he turned to weigh out the hamburger. His jeans stretched tight against his muscular thighs. Ethel thought about her car again and that she wouldn't mind William driving her around places. Bernard wouldn't mind anymore. Couldn't mind, probably. Sometimes she wished he would. I, I know, it, it looks like a lot of meat for just one person. A little old lady like me, she said with a small laugh.
William kept his attention on the hamburger. Because it is just me. At home, I mean. My husband's been in the nursing home for, well, for a long time now. Alzheimer's. I don't think he even knows who I am most days. Not sure if he knows himself, either. It's pretty hard for me. Gets lonely sometimes. 3208, he said, wrapping the meat. Ethel fished through her purse for a pen and her checkbook. It's for the dogs. The meat. I visit the shelter and I bring them the meat and pet them. Sally, she's a Kelpie. That's an Australian dog, you know. We're really starting to get to know each other. How much did you say again? Thirty-two dollars and eight cents. That's right. Silly me. Ethel scrawled out the amount and signed the check. William handed her a large brown paper bag containing her purchase. She slid the check across the counter and gave him another smile. One last try. He took the check with hardly a glance at her. She pouted while he punched buttons on the register. William. 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 She let it repeat in her mind like a wave on the shore, washing and receding over her ankles gently with a powerful sound. What a masculine name. What a strong name. She imagined that William was a terrific driver, too. Probably could even drive a stick shift. Certainly could parallel park. Bernard had always been bad at parallel parking. She imagined herself in the passenger seat, at William's side. He grasps the steering wheel with one hand and with the other pulls it into drive, turns and looks at her with those brown eyes. Solid and dark as the rocks she skipped across the river as a girl. And says in his rough baritone, Where to, Ethel? She took the receipt and turned to leave. You said you live alone? She stopped and turned back to him. Yes, sirree, all by my lonesome. No kids? No. Doctors ran tests. Turns out Bernard didn't have what it took. Bernard, your late husband? She almost corrected him, then reconsidered. Yes, that's right. William took the obligatory awkward silence, then, Would you like to get dinner tonight? Ethel's heart skipped. That would be nice, yes. I think I would like that. I'm closing early today. Pick you up around four. You know where I live? 
William reached into the register and waved the check. Got your address right here. Oh, of course. Uh, see you at four. Athel didn't spend very much time with Sally the Kelpie. She wanted to get home early to find the right clothes. And there was her hair and maybe even some makeup. No, she was too old for makeup. She didn't even have any now that she thought of it. She recalled the last time she had used makeup. It had been her birthday, and Bernard had taken her to a nice restaurant. He was already an old man then. It was only a month before she would start finding his car keys in the coffee maker and the bread box. But his age hadn't kept him from leering at their blonde twenty-something waitress. Ethel had tried to keep a grudge about it. But then Bernard went and got sick, so she wasn't allowed to anymore. And that made her all the more angry with him. No, Bernard wouldn't mind at all. She sure wished he would. William drove a rusty red pickup truck. There was a cap on the truck bed with tinted windows. Ethel had never seen a truck cap with its windows tinted that dark. When she got closer, she saw that the windows had been spray-painted black from the inside. William walked around to open the passenger door and gave her a hand up into the cab. And she said, Those are pretty dark windows back there. Anything going to happen back there that you don't want people seeing? She winked when she said this, but William looked mostly surprised and bothered. Then he smiled, but he didn't say anything. Ethel felt embarrassed. Maybe William was a bit more old-fashioned than she thought. She was a little older than him, of course, but she had been old-fashioned long enough that she had grown tired of it and had given it up. William lived further out of town than Ethel had expected. They followed winding back roads she had never known, climbing and descending dark hills like rolling ocean swells, zigzagging along hairpin switchbacks. If only Bernard could see her, could see them, could see and could care. Could he? Would he, after all? She would get a picture tonight. Yes, that would do. A photograph of the two of them, her and William. That would show Bernard. She would take it to him tomorrow. Or maybe Wednesday, she would think it over. Take it to him and show him. Tell him. Well, tell him something. Take that, you sorry. For all these years. For that pretty girl in the restaurant. For getting old so fast. For the bank account. Yes, that bank account. William has a good job, by the way. His own business. For all these years, 
for your secretary. Yes, she would think it over what she would say. I was with another man, mister. Now what do you think about that? And what would, could, he think about that, mister? Would he just give her that milky cataract-clouded stare, gears turning slowly, maybe processing, if anything at all? Did he even know her anymore? Did he know himself? Those empty eyes threatened to swallow her mind from the inside, and she pushed them out. She became suddenly aware that she and William had not spoken to each other since leaving her house. So, you really live out there, don't you? She said. I had an uncle who lived out in the hollers. He had a lot of dogs and and goats. Said they were his family. Never had a wife or kids, I mean. Uh, We wouldn't hear from him for months on end. He he died out there with his animals, and we didn't even know it for five months. William only looked at her. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be morbid. I get uncomfortable with silence. I mean, I'm used to silence living alone. It's just when I'm actually with someone, well, you know? Or maybe you don't. I'm I'm sorry. Don't be sorry, he said. I don't get much company. Not sure how to keep it. Here we are. William turned onto a long gravel driveway that led to an uncut lawn at the top of a hill. A ragged mobile home was perched there in the grass. A trail, worn down to bare earth, ran from the mobile home to a dilapidated wooden shed. A privy stood beside the shed, in an even greater state of disrepair than its neighbor. Don't worry, William said. I have a toilet inside if you need it. It's from a long time ago. He must have seen Ethel staring and assumed she had been focused on the outhouse. It wasn't the outhouse, though. It was the shed. Before she had been married, she had gone to visit her cousin in Oklahoma. Tornadoes had touched down right next to the house. The screaming funnels transfixed her, and her cousin had to yell at her and jerk her arm before she finally snapped out of her hypnosis. Something about these sagging boards caught her now and howled to her like those siren beasts of the plains. What's that building next to the privy, she said. Nothing. That's just my workshop. I, uh, you know, fiddle with things. He chuckled. He helped her out of the truck and walked her to the front door. It was windy, and she grasped his thick forearm for balance. It was windy, and she grasped his thick arm for balance. A foul stench came with the wind, probably a dead animal in the woods nearby. 
William didn't seem to notice, and she thought it would be rude to mention it. Something gave Ethel goose flesh. Her neck hair stood up on end. She told herself it was just the wind. The inside of William's home was surprisingly impeccably tidy. The aroma of wood smoke permeated everything. William motioned to the couch. Make yourself at home. I already put dinner together, just gotta heat it up. He disappeared into the kitchen. Ethel sat on the old but clean sofa while dishes clanged away in the next room. Directly across from her was a window with a view of the shed. Ethel sat there for some time, the shed looking back at her, grinning, hypnotic, dreadful. She looked down. Little scraps of white paper littered her lap and the sofa. In her trance-like state, she had drawn tissues from her purse and torn them into bits. Ears burning, she hastened to clean her mess. This is silly, she said aloud to herself. It's just an old shed. What was that? Ethel jumped in her seat. She turned to see William standing in the doorway. She laughed and put her hand to her chest. Oh, William, don't sneak up on me like that, she said. Nothing. It was nothing. Just this silly hen clucking to herself. What was it you said you'd do for a hobby? Not much of anything, really. I'm just a boring old fart. The shed, though. What do you do in there? Oh, um, woodworking, mostly. Some other stuff, just tinkering. Dinner's ready. Shall we eat? He seated her at a small oak table, just barely large enough for both their place settings and the lasagna. Ethel was surprised at how good the food was. In 52 years of marriage, Bernard had never made dinner. Over time, she had come to think that men couldn't cook. William, however, could cook. This is excellent. You must give me the recipe or just come over and cook for me every night. What's in it? Just some things. Spinach, feta, artichokes. Is it? She lifted through the layers of her half-eaten food. I assumed you'd have put some of your famous quality meat into here. William dropped his fork and stared at his plate. Oh, no, I mean, not that it isn't good. It's really is amazing. I mean, really, just I thought meat was kind of your thing, you know? This is delicious, too, of course. I'm actually vegetarian, he said, looking up. His lips were tight and his brow furrowed. Oh, Ethel said. William moved as if to speak. Then he glared silently at his food. Ethel was too stunned to say anything. William brutally continued eating. 
His fork clanked aggressively against his plate as he chopped and stabbed each bite. Ethel was too uncomfortable to finish her meal. William chopped and stabbed and clanked for about two more minutes before he cooled off. At last, he set his fork down, gently. Ethel, I'm sorry. I don't know what got into me. Like I said, I ain't used to company. Oh, she said, shifting in her seat. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry to have offended you. I just thought that... He smiled. Let's not speak of it. So, you said you live alone? Yes, she said, glad he had changed the subject. My husband, well, he's dead, of course. He was 13 years older than me and... No kids, like I said. Do you have any cleaning people or anybody to come check on you? No, I typically take to myself. Bernard was, well, he was there until he wasn't. And when he died, well, I guess that was it. Oh, well, there are the dogs. I told you about them, right? Sally? But what if something happens? At our age, and you, fragile but beautiful, like porcelain. She blushed and looked down at her unfinished food. She felt like a young girl again. Maybe I should have someone come by once in a while to check on me. Now that you mention it, there's this vegetarian butcher I know. She looked up and he was smiling. He wiped his mouth with his napkin and stood. Let me show you something. He led her by the hand outside. Are we going to see what's in the truck now? She said. He didn't answer her. She followed his focused gaze and got a shock of cold. The shed... What, what are you doing? What's in there? My hobby, William said, stone-faced. Ethel got that goose-flesh feeling again and knew it wasn't just the wind. Her stomach turned. You know what? I'm not feeling well. Take me home. You're scaring me. Take me home. She tried to jerk her hand away, but those beefy arms she had been admiring this afternoon held her tightly. The rotting odor she had noticed earlier was still on the wind and was growing stronger. It must be coming from the shed itself. For some reason, she expected the door to creak as it opened like the rusty hinges of a haunted mansion doors she had seen in the movies. But it swung open fluidly when William pushed her inside. She tripped and felt pain in her hip as she sprawled on the dusty wooden floor. 
She was hot despite the evening's coolness. The rank smell was so bad now that she threw up. As she stared down at her lasagna for the second time tonight, she noticed dark stains on the floor, getting darker and larger toward the center of the room. You wanted to see it, William said. Here it is. He shut the door behind him. Then he took a coil of rope and a chair from the corner and placed them in the floor's center, where the stains were darkest. Take a seat, he said. Ethel looked up at him with wide, pleading eyes. Please, William, what are you doing? You hurt me. Take me home. He walked over to her. Let me help you. He held her under the shoulders and lifted her to her feet. Then he guided her over to the chair in the middle of the room and eased her into it. He was oddly gentle about it all. Better? A small sob escaped her. William took the rope and began to tie her to the chair. It was scratchy and cut into her skin. She smelled his cologne and the lasagna on his breath as he hunched over her. Sorry I gotta do it this way, he said. Don't really want you to bruise, but then I can't have you getting up and walking off now either. Ethel looked around while William tightened the rope. Items you would expect to find in any man's shed were littered sparsely in the corners. A shovel and a rusty post-hole digger here, a garden hose and more ropes over there, a few buckets and unidentifiable odds and ends next to the door. To her left, a radio sat in the sill of a tiny window that let in a yellow shaft of the evening's fading light. Above her was a single light bulb hanging from a power cord. Also above her, metal hooks hung from chains affixed to the rafters. Against the wall to her right, almost behind her, knives of various sizes and shapes were arranged on a table. Under the window on her left, aprons hung from wooden pegs, white aprons, with stains on them, like the ones William would wear at his shop, Stains that matched the spot on the floor beneath her chair. William? Oh, William, please. All right, that's probably good. He gave a little tug to test the knots. How do you feel? Ethel blinked tears. You're scaring me. I don't understand. I know. He stepped back from the chair and looked her over. You know why you don't understand? Look at you, crying in that chair. From here, now, it's easy to see. You're the same as everyone else. He put on one of the blood-stained aprons. The same as who? I don't know what you think I did, but 
I'm sorry. William's face twisted into a scowl. Long spiderweb lines folded out from the corners of his dark eyes. Sorry. Every day, Ethel. Every day. Pounds and pounds. Where does all that meat go, Ethel? Every day. Pounds and pounds. Like it grows on trees. Does money grow on trees? How do folks pay for all that meat? Do they think the meat comes from nowhere? I don't. The meat, Ethel. It's gotta come from somewhere. Do you know where the meat comes from? I... from the animals? The animals, he shouted and swung his face down, stopping inches from hers. Her heart was beating fast, too fast for her age. She sobbed again. Animals, he whispered, his mouth twitched. Ethel closed her eyes. This is a dream, she thought. This is a dream. This is a dream. This is a dream. I'm sorry, Ethel. William stood and took a deep breath. It seems I lost my temper. He walked over to the table and picked up a knife, inspected it, studied his reflection on the wide blade, set it down again. He went through his knives one at a time like this as he talked. Father used to lose his temper. It scared us so badly. So I promised I would never speak to people in anger. It's a good rule, right? But it's hard. Sometimes. Sometimes. People don't understand and they need to understand. But sometimes they don't want to. And that makes me very angry. He looked at her. Father was a butcher too, you know. I know about animals. He began to sharpen one of his knives. She struggled to get a grip on herself. Breathe slowly, Ethel. In, out. In, out. Her heart rate returned to a more manageable pace. A draft blew through the cracks in the walls, icy against her sweaty neck. William stood in front of her again, knife in one hand, honing rod in the other. He gestured with them as he spoke. I think you will understand, though. It's important to me that you do, Ethel. It really is. I'm listening. But do you know, really, animals? I know about them. Father was a butcher. Like father, like son, I guess. Except it wasn't. 
Not after I took one of those cows to him so he could cut it up. Before he killed it. Have you ever looked a cow in the eye, Ethel? It took a moment before she realized his question wasn't rhetorical. No, I haven't. That's what I thought. You know, usually, most people, they haven't either. But think of, what was it, Sally? Think of the first time you looked in your doggy friend's eyes. Once you did that, you'd never be able to kill her, could you? No. That's how it was for me, too. But I was a boy, and father was in charge, and I led it to father to be slaughtered. I had nightmares that night. Those big, brown eyes. That cow trusted me, you know? And in my dreams, those eyes. I still dream about those eyes. A different pair of eyes flashed in Ethel's memory. Next evening, of course, we had steak for dinner. Except I wouldn't. And, well, I told you, father had a temper. He looked past her head somewhere, his arms dangling at his sides. The knife and the rod pointed at the ground. William, I'm sorry. He snapped out of his daze. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, you are fine. But you need to understand now. You see, something you should know about the butchering process. The animal's got to be calm, see? or the meat's ruined. So I need you to understand, and then I need you to be calm before I do it. Do what, William? But she knew what, didn't she? She looked over at the stagnating vomit pile and thought she may add to it soon. Ethel, the meat. It's gotta come from somewhere. She swallowed. Keeping a lid on her panic was paramount. If there was any slim hope at all for her to get out of this mess, she had to keep her head clear. It had become dark, and William reached up and pulled the chain switch hanging from the bulb. A bead of sweat trickled down his bare scalp, leaving a glistening line down his face, like the line of drool she had wiped off of Bernard's face this morning. That pathetic drool and those cloudy, empty eyes. Those eyes. She must keep her mind clear now, clear of those eyes. William, listen, please. I won't tell a soul. I'll do anything. Just let me go. You ain't calm, Ethel. You still don't understand. This ain't personal, see? It's business. Once you accept that, my husband's not dead. William cocked his head. You're lying. You know about eyes? Look into mine. You'll see. Ethel held her breath as William's gaze dug into hers. And for a few eternal seconds, 
She felt her soul penetrated by his hostile, manic aura. You're lying, he said at last. You almost had me there, but it's clear as day when I look at you. Ain't nobody you love but maybe Sally the Kelpie. And yourself. And she didn't argue, because it was true. So you see, you're just another animal. And I know animals. He walked to the door and paused to say, I'll be back in an hour to see if you're ready. Then he walked out. A breeze hissed through the boards, a kid whistling through missing front teeth. The hooks swung and knocked together like morbid wind chimes. Ethel's hearing wasn't what it was twenty, even ten, years ago, but tonight she could hear even a beetle's steps as it scampered over the death-darkened wooden floor. Rain began to peck at the shed's metal roof. I'm going to die here. The meat hook swung. Nobody knows where I am. Who is there to know, after all? She had no friends except Sally. Maybe the people at the shelter? But they didn't know she was here. Maybe the folks at the nursing home would wonder why she stopped coming to see Bernard. But by then it would be much too late. Bernard. His eyes appeared again in her mind, staring at her, through her, within her. She tried to push the image out, but what else did she have to fill her mind? William, who was about to package her up and sell her for three dollars a pound? Though, even now there was something about him that attracted her. Something primal. Something devout. It disturbed her to recognize this and made her wonder if maybe she was missing a few marbles herself. The sky flashed through the window. A few seconds later, thunder rumbled. Almost instantly, the pecking rain became a roaring downpour. She had to get out. The door wasn't locked. At least she hoped it wasn't. She tried to slip out of the ropes. But William had tied them well. The knives. If she could scoot the chair over to the table, maybe she could cut herself free. But what would she do then? Where would she go? She would get soaked. At her age, wet and cold, in the middle of nowhere... She could probably go all night without seeing a car on these mountain roads. Maybe it was worth the risk. Maybe she could hide behind the door with one of the knives. But William was strong. And even with a knife, her frailty was no match for him. Another bright flash was followed by thunder. Much sharper and violent this time. The single swinging incandescent bulb flickered out. Blackness enveloped her. She squinted her eyes, as if she could will her aging vision to adjust to the dark. She wished that she had lost her sense of smell along with her sight. She thought she was 
almost used to the reek, but somehow there it was again, stronger. Slowly, hazy silhouettes formed, the tools in the corner, the table, the aprons flapping, the meat hooks jangling. An apron hanging from a meat hook in front of her? How? (gasps) Again, white light filled the room from that tiny window like from a flashbulb. Her night vision was ruined again. But the snapshot burned into her mind and stopped her breath cold. The apron hanging from the meat hook wasn't an apron at all. No, it can't be. Another lightning flash confirmed the image. A man hanging by his heels from the hook. And she could hear the rafters creak as he swung slowly. Get control of yourself, Ethel. You're being silly again. Your silly, frightened mind's playing trick on you. With an eerie abruptness, the storm ceased. A break in the clouds allowed the full moon to shoot a beam through the window. Now she could see shapes in the quicksilver dimness, could see the tools and the aprons and the hooks, in the man hanging from the hooks. Just barely. She could even see where the hooks pierced his bloody ankles. Thin black rivulets ran down his legs to his torso and into his armpits and down his limply hanging arms. And then drip, drip, dripped off his fingertips, making new little black puddles on the floor. The wind had stopped, but still the man swung slowly back and forth, the old rafters protesting his weight. The shaft of moonlight highlighted a spot in the air where his face would pass with each swing. And Ethel let out a small scream when she saw it. Not because the man was alive. Not even because the man was looking at her. Smiling at her, even. But because she knew that face. Even in this half-darkness, she knew that cloudy stare. Bernard? Bernard did not answer, only stared back, grinning wildly. Though his eyes were milky with cataracts, it was not that half-conscious, empty look she'd grown accustomed to. Her heart chugged like a steam engine now, and it started skipping, threatening to derail. She closed her eyes and again tried to slow it halfway hoping that when she looked again, swinging Bernard would be gone. He wasn't. Bernard, stop looking at me like that. Stop. Stop it. He only smiled and swung. 
and dripped. Bernard, I can explain this. Smile. Swing. Drip. Well, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you, you know. William, well, he, I thought anyways, well, I wasn't getting much attention from you. Or I hadn't. And even before you went all, you know, and... An oblong shadow moved across the rafter to Bernard and then rested above the hook he dangled from. And so what if I did go on a date? And, well, you know, I'm with another man, mister. And what do you think about that? But her voice faltered and cracked on the last word. The oblong shadow, it had a long, wormy tail, too moved down the meat hook, and rested on Bernard's toes. It lifted up its head. Yes, it had a head, and ears and whiskers, too. Then started to squeak. And if you think I deserve this, like like you even paid me attention before you left me with your nursing home bills and cleaning up your pathetic drool. Ethel felt her fear turning to anger. I had to practically wipe the drool off your face even before. Yes, Bernard, I still remember that waitress. And your secretary. Don't think I didn't know what was going on then. Bernard kept grinning, kept swinging, kept dripping. More oblong shapes came out of the blackness above and converged upon Bernard's bloody, stinking ankles. I deserved more than what you gave me, she yelled at smiling, swinging, dripping Bernard. I deserved more than your unfaithfulness. I deserved more than your infertility. I deserved more than your sickness. I deserved more. She stopped to catch her breath. Her hands trembled as much as her bonds allowed. The rats. So many. Where did they all come from? Were crawling down Bernard's legs, squeaking gluttonously. Bernard did not try to brush them off. Didn't even flinch as they gorged on his legs. He only grinned. Arms limp, so you can wipe that smug look off your face. And I'm going to get out of this. You'll see. And you wait and see if I ever come visit you again. The rats moved down Bernard's body until only his face showed. They were squeaking louder and louder. And then they began to squeak in unison like shrill crickets. I told William you were dead. We're going to get married, and he'll never know about you. You'll rot alone in the nursing home and see if I ever care. The rats now covered Bernard's face so that all that Ethel could see was a mass of squirming rats swinging from the meat hook their wormy tails whipping. 
They squeaked in deafening time to each swing of this giant rat pendulum, and it began to sound like words. You're next. No, no, Ethel shook her head. No. You're next. No. She wanted to cover her ears, but of course her hands were still tied. Instead, she tried to scream above the rat's high chant. You're next. You're next. The swinging and the chanting got faster and faster, a steadily hastening metronome. You're next. You're next. You're next. No, no, stop it, stop it. She screamed louder, but still the rat's voices rose above her own. You're next. You're next. You're next. You're next. Stop it! Stop it! I hate you! The pendulum stilled. The rats cleared away from Bernard's face. Or what was left of it. They had eaten the skull clean of all flesh, save those cloudy eyes, which still stared at her, and the skull grinned as the rodents clambered up Bernard's skeleton and disappeared into the void. The door opened. Ethel opened her eyes with a start. Bernard was gone. William came in and pointed a flashlight at her face, blinding her. Do you understand now? he said. Are you ready? It had been a dream. Of course it had. A dream. And yet, let's talk this over, William. I was afraid of this. You still ain't ready. Well, I've got a trick for when a body don't come round. It ain't preferred, but can at least calm a person down right quick. He pulled a cloth from his back pocket. She could smell the chemically sweet scent of chloroform despite the pervasive stench of death. No, I do understand, see? And it's business, of course. But listen. I have a business offer for you. I doubt it. But he stopped and waited. Curious. I know where you can get some good meat, William. Much better than mine. I can bring him to you, William. And he won't struggle, either. He may not even say a word. That was Timothy G. Huguenin's Animals, as read by Josie Babin. Living in that formerly abandoned house on the corner, 
the one across the street from the cemetery. The one with all those cats lounging about. You will find Josie, happily narrating horror stories. No one has seen her human companion lately, but the cats do look well-fed. Not that those things have anything to do with one another. In between stories, she works on a long list of house projects and car projects. But best of all, she gets to work on lab projects, growing cells into medicine, hopefully making the world a little healthier in the not-so-far-off future. If you're ever in San Diego, stop by to say hi. She'll introduce you to her cats. Thank you, Josie. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we summon shadows from the depths with more Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.